Cool. Well, we've we've uh, achieved quite the quorum pretty quickly. Normally, people are a few minutes late, but it looks like uh, we have an eager audience. So I think we may as well get started. Um, so Cristiano is a, a, a friend of mine. I think Ankit also knows Cristiano and, and is the CEO of Lindy Labs, which is a very interesting uh, kind of crypto distributed finance company. Um, and he's also an insider in, in this, this world of, of, uh, of, of blockchain infused uh, products. And, and so I've invited him on today to talk to us about the recent um, uh, crypto crashes. I guess there's not just one, but, but maybe multiple, why they happened and, and his insider's perspective. So, uh, so with that, Cristiano, thank you so much for joining us and uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Um, we are an R&D entity. Like, when, like Mark said, we specialize in blockchain and um, also high assurance software development. And today, um, I decided to recycle a past presentation. Uh, every Friday, we have a presentation. It's called Friday Fun. Uh, Max has actually presented on automated attack synthesis. Um, and this one was requested by some of my coworkers, and I decided to reuse it, but update it to make it relevant. Um, this was actually um, before the crash, a couple of, I think the crash was May 9th, I believe, the first wave. Um, and as you will see, everything is going to be more or less intertwined. So let's start from the, the ground up. Uh, it's gonna, gonna build some context. So uh, Luna is Terra's proof of stake token. Um, it ensures the security of the blockchain. You use it to pay for transactions and prevent spam. And it, you can also burn it to mint uh, USD such that $1 worth of Luna mints exactly one USD. So the original, uh, and of course, vice versa, you could burn UST in order to generate Luna, and then you could, in theory, arb the, um, the difference between what it's trading at and the Oracle price. So the original thesis uh, is the TFL. Uh, TFL stands for Terraform Labs, and it is the entity behind this massive Ponzi scheme. Uh, so the thesis is that you buy Luna, number goes up, you burn it to mint UST, um, the circulating supply of Luna contracts, in theory, making the number go up even more um, as the supply, uh, as, as the demand supposedly stays the same and the supply is smaller. And in theory, this is supposed to keep UST collateralized. But it's not quite that simple. There are lots of glaring issues. For one, transactions can be paid directly in UST. I never understood why, um, because you could use account abstraction, for instance, to have them be paid in Luna. And, but, you know, there are other solutions that, that can be, you could leverage blockchain technology to still have the transaction fee be paid in Luna, but using UST. So in like a mechanism that would uh, perform the swap beforehand. So the user experience would be the same, 
but you're not taking away from Luna's demand. Um, uh, secondly, you have reflexive design. This means that if Luna goes down, it can trigger a bank run um, whereby UST debugs. And it would trigger a bank run in instances where Luna's market cap is no longer sufficient to collateralize UST. And there is some nuance here because let's say that Luna's market cap is 20 billion and UST's market cap is 10 billion. If you were to sell, let's say, even $2 billion worth of Luna on chain, you would quickly realize that there is not enough liquidity to even back 10 billion UST. There's a lot of slippage. Uh, liquidity is not that deep. So this might result in a negative feedback loop that ends in what we call a death spiral. Most of, and then of course, uh, most of the TFL developed protocols are very poorly parametrized. And um, just to, to name a few, it's Anchor and Mirror Protocol. These are the two main ones. Um, just a quick question about the exchange between the two. So when you burn one currency to get the other, I assume you do not have to mint the second currency, right? Like you don't have to do any sort of proof of work or anything. You just, you just get Luna for free because you burned your other stuff. Is that correct? So you get Luna if you stake Luna. Does that make sense? Like if you stake Luna, uh, uh, you, you operate a node that validates transactions. Right. Um, and so you receive fees from uh, the inflationary policy of the protocol, of the blockchain. Right. And, um, but from a user standpoint, you buy Luna and you burn it to receive, you, you burn $100 worth of Luna and you receive 100 USD. Okay. And conversely, you can burn 100 uh, USD to receive $100 worth of Luna. And you can arb this back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Br Brennan just also mentioned that it's not a proof of work blockchain, which I did not know. So, yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. So, May of 2021 was the first time that the Ponzi reared its ugly head, debugging to 96 cents, more or less. And, but it was, it was quite short-lived. Uh, the market cap was a mere $2 billion uh, compared to this year's $20 billion. Um, the wealthy venture capitalists that were backing it very easily managed to bail it out. And uh, Luna, of course, took a massive haircut, about 80%, uh, which really showcase the reflective, reflexive nature of this mechanism and how bad the negative feedback loop can get without sufficient capital to, to back it. So why would you use USD instead of other stable coins like DAI, US, USDC, even Tether to, well, Tether is very opaque, but it's, it's lasted a, a long time, so. So why, why would you use that given the, the risk? And one of the answers, because there are multiple answers, is TFL's ecosystem. 
So you can see in this little graph that in, uh, on December 3rd, 2020 was when Mirror Protocol, um, which is a protocol that allows you to mint uh, synthetic assets against Coaxial, uh, launched. And um, you, um, I believe, yeah, so, so at the time of the launch, the, the, the UST's market cap, uh, that's what the graph represents, was very, very small. It was only $23 million. And um, over time, it went up to, I think with Mira, it got up to like 300 million. I can't, it's kind of hard to see. Um, and then March 17th of 2021, Anchor Protocol launched and um, it went up to, gradually went up to about $3 billion, which is quite respectable, but they were not the largest protocol. You, you still have Harvey and Curve and Compound, which were much, much bigger at this point. But then you see a massive spike um, around November of 2021. So what exactly caused this massive demand? Because it, it practically doubled overnight, the market cap. And that is, of course, leverage. So Anchor Protocol was offering 20% um, APY, which is quite a lot, but it wasn't enough to break the 3 billion market cap. Of course, with leverage, you can get a lot more depending on your risk tolerance. So 80% APY was suddenly attractive enough. And of course, it is very important also to remember that Yield is, is simply the market pricing risk. So if the yield is 20% for UST and 10% for USCC, that's the market telling you, and the market cap is the same, of course, that's the market telling you that it's pricing um, UST is at least two times um, riskier than USDC. Okay, so... Now we're going to pivot a little bit to Anchor because it is certainly one of the, it, it was the, the biggest domino piece in my opinion um, that triggered all of this. So we all know that UST is a risky Ponzi now, but what about Anchor? And Anchor is a money market. You deposit proof of stake tokens like Luna, uh, ETH, um, I think at some point Sol, and then you can use them as collateral to borrow UST. Uh, at the same time, the, the protocol stakes your proof of stake rewards in a liquid staking protocol. Um, and then you collect, you, you as in the protocol collects the, the proof of stake rewards and combined with interest, because you still have to pay interest on top of foregoing your yield. Um, these are sent to the depositors on the other side of the equation, the people supplying UST to Anchor Protocol, and you receive 20% APY. And we will find that this product did not have a lot of product market fit. Um, and we could speculate that perhaps people just don't want to 
forego their yield, their proof of stake rewards, I mean. Uh, another potential hypothesis is that they simply did not want to be exposed to UST because it's risky. And of course, the APY, 20%, was not, sustain not, not sustainable at all. And uh, Doquan, Terraform Labs, whatever, they kept injecting cash into the reserve. Uh, they would literally just mint UST out of thin air using their, their lunar reserves. And they would inject it into the reserve to maintain that 20% APY. And of course, we will discover that this was really, really bad. And uh, it basically added debt to the system without collateral. So, so why would you use Anchor? And now you can see uh, examples of protocols that have lasted the test of time, have a make and compound. Uh, they found product market fit. They are well parametrized because you want to keep utilization rates around 80% typically, depending on um, your deposits. Have a 70%, compound 77. You can see that at these utilization rates, the cost to borrow is quite low. An anchor protocol at 25%, which is extremely low, forced you to pay nearly 12%. And if you go up to 70%, it's probably going to be around 35%, if I recall correctly. So it, it is extremely expensive. But you get free money because Doquan was literally using Anchor Protocol's token to subsidize borrowing activity in the protocol. So what people would do is they would create these leverage positions where they deposit Luna to the protocol, they collateralize it, they take out UST, they use the UST to either, they either burn it or they swap it for Luna and then they deposit the Luna again and they, they loop this a couple of times and um, now they're making like 100% APY. Um, or if they, they're not super risky, they can just uh, deposit their collateral, um, take out a loan, and then stake the loan. And it's also quite nice because it minimizes your risk just a little bit. Um, but yeah, this is pretty much one of the reasons why... Um, well, to be fair, this, this, this to me resembles... Um, a leverage nightmare because you're just adding leverage to a system that is reflexive. So if the system needs to unwind and it's already prone to reflexive behavior, negative feedback loops, it's, it's going to be catastrophic. Uh, so as you can see here, there's a lot of, the, the, well, there, when I made this in April, um, they had about $12 billion in deposits um, and about $3 billion of borrowing activity, I believe. So it was quite low. And when you deposit your UST tokens, like it just keeps getting worse in terms of leverage. When you deposit your UST tokens, you receive Anchor UST. Anchor UST represents 
your deposits. And this is one of the strengths of blockchain technology. You receive these receipt tokens and you can use them to do other stuff because they represent your claim uh, of, of this deposit. So they allowed AUST to be used on Mirror Protocol to mint synthetic assets with this collateral. So now what's wrong with Mera? Because it's, it seems like they, they're just keeping adding fuel to the fire. And it's true. Uh, so in the beginning, it wasn't very good. Um, I made some suggestions uh, at the time. This was literally in like uh, beginning of 2021. And um, it was... You got a little bit better, but it was still terrible. Um, you had a lot of systemic risk because of all the leverage and all, well, the UST just not having other types of collateral, like sturdier types of collateral, made the system quite quite unstable. Uh, and it also allowed you to mint synthetics using other synthetics. So. It's, it, it just seems like Tokwon did not understand the mechanics of leverage systems. And of course, there is also irony in the fact that these synthetic assets produced by Mirror had to be over collateralized, but not UST. So you, you are creating over collateralized synthetic assets using an, an, an uncollateralized stablecoin. But of course, Dokwon knew the truth that this is not sustainable, but it was very good for growth. It allowed, it allowed them to scale very rapidly um, and make wild claims. And because they had such good backing, they were able to, well, the, the mechanism wasn't able to be exploited uh, when it was small. So Doquan started the process to collateralize UST. But in typical Doquan fashion, it was done in an idiotic centralized way. And um, so no trustless redemption mechanism. Um, Doquan bought, I think, $2.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, but you couldn't redeem them in a trustless manner. Uh, you just basically said, hey, um, we, we promise that we're going to pr pr uh, deploy this capital to protect the peg. So why, why even use blockchain technology if we're going to behave like a centralized entity? Uh, he also claimed that, and there is an actual quote uh, um, where he goes, where he says, um, the failure of Luna is going to be conflated with the failure of crypto, of Bitcoin. So it was holding the space hostage. Um, and it was also taunting uh, Maker because the Maker people who created the DICE stablecoin uh, had pointed out the reflexive nature of UST. So he said, okay, I hate Maker. Um, 
I'm going to take the UST out of the curve three pool. I'm going to deploy it on a new pool with other uh, under collateralized stable coins. And this was basically the, the, the beginning of the end, as we will see soon. Um, and this is this is the new part because as you guys know, my my presentation was um, made in April, and uh, this is the new part that was that is up to date. Christiana, so before, day... before we get into who's all the money that got burned, can you tell us whose money this is that we're talking? Like, are these investors from Silicon Valley? Is it like normal everyday people who are trying to get rich? Like, whose money is, are we about to watch? You know, burn in a huge pile in, in the remainder of this presentation. Yeah, that's a good question. So this is basically, I, I will I will get there, but I'll just to 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 give some context. You had a lot of normal people, like a lot of retail people. You had a lot of hedge funds. You also had a lot of protocols that held their treasuries um, in UST. Um, basically, everyone. Everyone that you could think of as a as a user persona, they, they got burned. Okay. And um yeah, so um so the, the, the date is, is May 9th at 7 p.m. and their extraneous collateralization. So I'm excluding the Luna because Luna is very reflexive. So I'm only here, I only mentioned the the Bitcoin reserves, Avax, uh, and they had a couple of others, but it was roughly uh, $3 billion at its peak. So the extraneous collateralization ratio was 16%. And the cost to attack was without this collateralization, because as I mentioned before, Duke One did not make it redeemable in a trustless manner. So this cost to attack pertains uh, mostly to Curve. Uh, Curve is a, a protocol that swaps like assets. So assets that are supposed to be pegged to each other. And it uses um, uh, an invariant that is, is not like Uniswap's uh, XY equals K. Uh, it's, it's much, the slope is much gentler. So there's a lot less slippage and you can trade more volume. So the cost to attack was uh, $4 billion. No, it's quite a lot. Um, the market cap was, um, I believe, $18 billion. So it, it would have been almost impossible to attack this. So Doug Ponin was very cocky, uh, very arrogant. And then he tweeted this um, a couple of weeks before, by my hand, die will die. He was waging war against uh, centralized stable coins. Uh, die is not super centralized. They rely a lot on USDC nowadays, which is not good, but they still are <laughs> leagues ahead of USD. So a couple of minutes later, Do Kwon decides to do something stupid. Uh, so basically he removed liquidity from the curve pool, the three pool, and he didn't immediately add it to uh, the four pool. So now the cost to attack is now 13 times cheaper than before. It's now 
$300 million. And at the same time, uh, someone shorted Bitcoin and uh, the price crashed from 33,000, 34,000 to 30,000. So the collateralization also went down a lot. And now I wanna I wanna ask if you if you guys can guess what happened or rather how you would have exploited the, the protocol. And Max, you can <laughs> you can pick. Uh, Brennan, do you want to give it a guess? Um, I'm actually gonna plead the fifth on this one. I'm interested to to see the perspective of the presenter and some of the other folks in the audience. Anyone would like to take a guess? Can you go back one slide? Okay, so our cost to attack is 13 times cheaper, right? And the attack is yes. the circular mechanism you already described, right? Except that you pull money out of one of them and into another cryptocurrency because you know both of them are going to be worth nothing eventually. Yeah. So I imagine you take out a huge loan and then you use your loan to attack and then you pay off your loan. Yeah. Okay. It was it's very similar to that, except they, they took it a couple of steps further in order to generate more profit. So, and I, I'm going to read the sequence of events that I, because um, I, I actually had another presentation after the downfall of Terra, but it wasn't necessarily a presentation. It was basically just a talk. And I, I just wrote down all the steps that were taken so i'll just i'll just read it um so um yeah so the attacker accumulated one billion dollars of ust um and they also borrowed three billion dollars worth of bitcoin then they used a couple hundred million dollars uh, worth of ust to unbalance the three pool because it was much cheaper to attack, they could just swap it for DAI. Like basically they, deposit, they deposited like $300 million worth of UST and they withdrew DAI. So now UST is uh, like 97 cents, I believe. And this attack would have cost a lot more to execute. So it would have been almost impossible. At the same time, they shorted Bitcoin to decrease the collateralization ratio of UST. Um, now, all the attacker has to do is keep that curve pool unbalanced, and they have enough, enough gas in the tank to keep doing that. So they just wait for Dokuan's enemies. So basically all of the space, because the guy just keeps gloating over and over again um, to start a smear campaign against UST. So Christiana, just to be clear, if this were like in, in non-crypto, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say currencies, but, but um, financial instruments, it would be like if I was um, uh, doing some scheme to make money off of, say, like a credit card company or a loan company or something that had idiotic uh, mechanisms, but then I knew that all their money was in, say, like 
uh, Zimbabwean currency. So I also fucking waged war on Zimbabwe to make that currency. Yes. <laughs> okay. Exactly. <laughs> the two-pronged attack. So it's kind of like what Soros did in the 90s, I think. But it gets even better. So uh, here, you Doquan was thinking, well, it's okay because you can just burn Luna for UST and uh, people are just going to arb that and Luna is going to take a haircut because you know that when people are going to burn Luna, other people are going to be shorting Luna because they know it's coming. They know that the dilution is coming, so they short it to make a profit, which also makes the price go down. And it's reflexive. But here's another interesting fact. You can only burn $150 million worth of UST every day. So it could not absorb this uh, trade. So this triggered the first wave of withdrawals um, from Anchor Protocol. So you immediately saw people saw 90, 97 cents uh, on the dollar. And this first group of people that were on Anchor Protocol decided that it was not worth the risk. So they withdrew and they... Um, they took the 3% haircut, no problem. Uh, so at the same time, people started smelling blood. They started shorting Luna. They started shorting UST, Bitcoin, every asset on Luna Foundation Guard's balance sheet with leverage and even the Terra Blue chip tokens like Anchor and uh, the Mirror token. Um, now, all the shorting causes Bitcoin and Luna to crash massively. Um, amplifying the panic and further increasing the risk profile of, U of UST because if Luna is down 50%, UST's uh, intraneous collateralization ratio is now very, very low. Uh, there wasn't enough Luna to cover all that UST. So the pool remained unbalanced the attacker no longer had to keep it unbalanced because you had genuine withdrawals, people fleeing Anchor Protocol. Um, and so USD started to lose peg on centralized exchanges like KuCoin and Binance and so on, and panic set in. So market prints red and Doquan allegedly takes the bait and starts liquidating Bitcoin. Um, which amplified the panic. And most, most of the, the UST holders, as you guys know, were anchor depositors. They were also mirror protocol deposit users. And each wave of anchor withdrawals served to push the risk profile toward the other end of the spectrum and make shorting more attractive. And so, so many people withdrew from anchor protocol that the VCs, that were backing this protocol, like Jump Capital and um, Three Arrows Capital and so on, deemed it impossible to restore the peg. Um, it was impossible. So everyone capitulated. They lifted the cap on the Luna burn and Luna just went straight to zero. 
uh, with I don't I don't even know I, I would say it's it's a number too big for me to even know what it would be called but basically it just minted almost to infinity um so what could have saved it a uh, couple of things so you you he removed the the liquidity and he didn't add it back that's really stupid any security researcher would have told him not to do that uh, there was no trustless redemption mechanism. And of course, he should have been a bit more humble because it's not the first time that he's operated a Ponzi scheme. Uh, people only found out later, but that he also operated a Ponzi scheme called Basis Cash. That was also an algorithmic uh, and collateralized stablecoin that also died and uh, caused... $50 million worth of losses, which is not comparable to this at all. So what makes DeFi, DeFi would have potentially saved it. So atomicity, so the ability to pull liquidity from the three pool, supply to the four pool, all of this in a single transaction. This would have kept it safe, uh, or at least 13 times safer. And then you have trustlessness and permissionlessness. And this is being able to do things without a trusted counterparty or permission. And it pertains specifically to the redemption mechanism uh, of the extraneous collateral. But of course, I'm honestly, I'm glad it died. Um, should have died at 2 billion. Uh, the first time it depegged, it didn't. But it's better at 20 billion than at 2 trillion. So, and now uh, the, the question that Max asked, who was affected? And that is many people, many funds, but the main character of this arc is Three Arrows Capital. They were at some point, I think the biggest, uh, they were a family office, I believe. I don't, they weren't a hedge fund. They weren't hedging anything, in fact unfortunately um, but they yeah they had purchased one billion dollars worth of Luna prior to the collapse to help Doquan collateralize UST uh, I think they sold their Bitcoin for it so they also had a lot of UST uh, they had a lot of Luna they had a lot of UST and to add insult to injury they were super overleveraged. They borrowed money from projects that they'd invested in, claiming that they would manage a treasury. And also from major players in the space. And namely Celsius, Nexo, and others. And so what the hell are Celsius and Nexo? And they are. CDFI, that's what, you, that, that's what they call themselves. And it stands for Centralized DeFi, which is very strange. And um, the depositors are essentially creditors. These entities then gamble with your cash. And initially, when they had 200 million, 300 million, they would construct delta neutral positions 
um, like for instance, um, uh, they, they could stake ETH uh, to collect the proof of stake reward and they could uh, short ETH at the same time. So now they have a, a, a position with a delta of one um, and now you're just collecting the proof of stake rewards of about 5% per year. So uh, obviously they got greedy. They wanted to continue growing. They wanted to scale fast. And so they, they were forced, forced because no, no one held again to their heads, but they were forced to move to the other side of the risk curve, a side with uh, no hedges because you, 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 need, you need a way to, to, to short, whether it be straddles, uh, I, I don't know, like put spying strategies and so on. You need a way to, to, to hedge your risk. And they didn't have these for these super long tail tokens. So they, they, they use customer deposits to, to farm uh, Anchor protocol and gamble with no hedge, which was stupid because you could actually short USD on FTX and others. Um, so they were just greedy. So the, the Terra ecosystem crashed and burned and they, they, as in Celsius and Nexo, had to start liquidating user assets from their leveraged positions to prevent the meltdown and uh, keep their opaque system um, opaque. Of course, their liquidations created a cascade of other liquidations. And so this made matters worse and their Ponzi was also exposed. They were forced to file uh, for bankruptcy and um, this caused forced selling which triggered another mega casket of liquidations. So it's just purging leverage over and over and over again until there is no leverage left. Uh, and of course, this coupled with the war, quantitative easing, power inflation, lockdowns, it, it was the perfect recipe to shrink the market cap of all major markets, save for Forex, which just received a, an inflow of currencies. And that's it. This is how the, the market got collapsed. But, um, you know, crypto is very resilient. Um, we, it, it is a libertarian's wet dream. It does not necessitate bailouts. It can leverage up and down, uh, I wouldn't say gracefully, but even, even this, this situation, which was caused by centralized entities and, um, and, and just mismanagement, everything is going to be fine anyway. But yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, Cristiano. Um, we have a little over 15 minutes uh, of Cristiano's time left, so people should ask questions. I mean, I've got plenty, but I'm sure uh, others do too. So I'm going to open the floor. Can I kick off with a question, Max? Um, so, Cristiano, really interesting presentation. 
do you have any insight into why some other stable coins weren't as affected by by the crash? I'm thinking particularly of USDC. Do you have any insight into that at all? Yeah, so uh, USDC, um, they are a centralized stable coin. So you can go on circle.com, you can deposit $100 fiat, um, you send them automated clearinghouse transfer, and you will receive 100 USDC. They take this, they take this fiat and they will deploy, I don't know what the percentage is, but let's say 60% of it, because they, 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 they need to have, the, the fractional reserve model means that you must have, you must hold some reserves uh, that are liquid for, to, for people to, to withdraw their money if they need to. So let's say it's 60%. Um, uh, and, and so 40% is liquid and 60% they, they, they invest in, um, in treasury bills, in well, bonds basically, uh, and they can generate 3%, 2% and they, they, they use this yield to fund their own business. But it is it is very it's fine because if if you assume that people get panicky and they wanna they wanna withdraw their money and suddenly circle runs out of um, of their liquid reserves it depletes them completely they can still tap into secondary markets that are going to purchase those bonds off of them uh, of course there's going to be a penalty. Um, but they will be fine. They'll be just fine. And they will be able to honor their obligations to their depositors. Um, but yeah, centralized uh, stable coins. And they're also quite transparent with their operations. So then uh, one follow-up question to that. Um, do you see any changes in the regulatory landscape as, as a result of the recent volatility in cryptocurrency? Yeah, uh, we, we actually have been a part of these discussions, um, which they, they've actually been, um, especially Senator Loomis, they've been very, they, they've embraced crypto. Um, but one of the most major ones that came specifically out of this is that you can have your under collateralized stable coins if you want, but you can't call them a stable coin, basically. Otherwise, and, and the consequences of this type of regulation is that they will make it, regulators will make it much harder for crypto exchanges like Binance, Kraken, FTX, and so on to prove to to list them um so that they're, they're it's not they're not going to have fiat ramps thanks so much great answers i think anthony has Thank a question you. hello uh great talk really really enjoyed it i am so i guess my question is sort of in the thought of regulations and perhaps increasing trust in the in the cryptocurrency community and all that um what sort of what sort of thoughts about like internal governance within the community um 
has been considered or you know internal standards or some sort of means of sort of rebuilding or getting more trust to these you know two currencies yeah that's that's an interesting question because on-chain governance is very much uh well there have been lots of of experiments um we're still way behind uh when it comes to like corporate governance structures and whatnot um but it, the problem here is that people they they are very the people in the space right now they're very much on the side of the risk spectrum that you would expect as early adopters so all they care about is to extract money to 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 grow their stash um so you know people need to just stop investing in obvious ponzi's uh being less greedy um because in ust's case governance was just dope on every everything is said just passed um and if you like if you were to make a proposal, because they technically did have a DAO, but if you were to make a proposal that I didn't like, it would just make fun of you, it would just mock you, and everyone would just vote down your 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 um, proposal. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a tough thing to address because populism is is very powerful. You you see this everywhere in, in the real world companies that have strong leaders typically uh, well the, first of all they become cult-like figures and um they 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 either succeed massively or they crash and burn and take a bunch of others with them but i don't i don't think it's it's a crypto specific problem so something that um Something we discussed, Cristiano, in another call, which kind of scares me, is that uh, Coinbase in particular has like had this huge advertising push on YouTube to try to get normal everyday people to invest in cryptocurrencies. And they have their like Coinbase Academy where, where they will teach you why you should spend money on their platform. Um, and uh, I, I guess my question about this is like, one, do you think it's good slash bad slash neutral for kind of the crypto economy as a whole for everyday people, especially maybe lower income people to be investing in it. And then two, um, what does this say about, I guess, how much money is available from traditional investors that a company like Coinbase is going out there and trying to get like random, you know, I mean, for example, I'm getting targeted in ads. My income is in the mid five figures. I'm not a wealthy person, right? I'm a grad student. So the fact that they're targeting people like me suggests that like they kind of want nor everyday people who may be less educated than than um, uh, a family, in, um, you know, hundred million dollar fund to be investing. So, so what do you think about that? Yeah, I think this is a symptom of the SEC's policies that don't allow people to, un unless you're an accredited investor, which means you have uh, a net worth exceeding a million dollars, uh, or you have a license to trade. So, um, people are scared because of terrible monetary policy. They don't want their purchasing power to get eroded away. So they are turning to risky investments and the SEC doesn't let them, so they turn to crypto. 
And uh, investing is, is risky. Uh, but crypto is not just about investing. Uh, crypto is about products. The investments are separate. The, it very much mirrors the, the, the traditional finance world. The tokens are just equity, essentially. And you are just speculating that a specific protocol is going to do well and the token will go up. But there are a couple of structured products in crypto that allow you to speculate in such a way that you can't necessarily lose it all. Like for instance, you have a ribbon protocol and a ribbon finance, sorry. And ribbon allows you to, they, they have structured products that employ, let's say, put selling strategies. So you have a directional view of the market and you deposit in this vault and it just automates um, selling puts. It underwrites and, and sells them. And um, this is a better way to make money. Your risk, your, your downside is capped. And I'm just giving that as an example. Um, you could also deposit on a money market like Have, and um, other people are going to to borrow your money, and you're going to receive three percent per year, more or less, um, compounds. So there are various ways to 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 make money, but obviously Coinbase does not profit from this. Coinbase profits from uh, sell being being a centralized order book and uh, taking fees for uh, based on volume. So they just want everyone to invest. Um, I mean, it's where the incentives are for them. So that's what they do. Well, and the more- but Hopefully like, people will just use crypto. The more companies like Coinbase there are also, the less uh, any of these cryptocurrencies actually satisfy the theoretical guarantees of security because you're not having one node per user, right? So. Like I'm, I'm very concerned about these kind of flash attacks at a nation state level. Like I could imagine, um, say, uh, China and Russia pulling off some sort of attack in which they very quickly take over 51% of a chain by hacking a small number of centralized entities like Coinbase that have a large amount of, of, of uh, cryptocurrency. And then they can rewrite history uh, and do a huge amount of damage, right? Um, even if it's even if they only have that 51% for a short amount of time. Yeah, for, for proof of work, uh, for, for proof of stake, it's it's a, a bit higher um, and it's a bit harder to exploit. Um, but I, I can't get into that. It's, it would be too long. But proof of stake is, is safer. Um, but you, you, could, you could, in theory, combine, combine them, actually, and just have checkpoints with proof of work. Um, but yeah, you are absolutely right. Um, there are a couple of protocols like Lido protocol that are liquid staking protocols. And basically what they do is they have a whitelisted validator set. Um, they take your ETH deposits and they delegate them to these validators and they give you a synthetic uh, staked ETH token. And uh, recently there have been concerns about should Lido ever exceed, let's say, 20% of the total uh, validator uh, cap? And um, 
uh, we, unfortunately, <laughs> the vote is that they shouldn't have a cap, um, which means that they're going to have to keep diversifying that validator set, keep whitelisting them to make the system more resilient against uh, against this stuff. But yes, Coinbase, it's not just the tokens that they hold. They actually also provide uh, staking services. So, but what you said is even more relevant in light of this, because if they have control of, of that, of Coinbase's validator set, which is very big, um, they could do some damage. Um, not sure the extent of the damage, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, people always make this argument about the economics, right? About how like you would lose money by attacking. And it's just such a fallacious argument because like we'll shoot a $100,000 rocket at three people right? We being the United States. I mean, <laughs> nation states uh, do not necessarily operate for profit. So, uh, or the profit horizon is so much longer that it's, it's an acceptable thing. Um, so like the, the, the argument that you lose money by burning somebody else's money has never been convincing to me. Yeah, that, that is, that is true. That is true. Um, yeah, it, it is, it is quite risky, of course. Um, Mm. But I think I don't think proof of stake validators can necessarily uh, change history. I think they can only. It depends on the the type of proof of stake. Uh, I think they can only validate transactions. Um, they can't necessarily alter the past, which is is pretty nice. Has there been any regulation um, or discussion of regulation about trying to stop um, actual banks or like, uh, I don't know, like people with money from using attacks as a way to make money? Like for instance, what's stopping, let's say Schwab from hiring me and Anki to come up with a bunch of routing attacks against Lightning Network and like literally make money for Schwab that way? You see what I'm saying? Is, is there anything illegal about that sort of thing? No, it's, it's, it's a permissionless system. more resilient against this type for instance a couple of minutes ago we talked about USDC if USDC were to depeg on chain and go to, down to like 90 cents I personally would just buy a bunch of USDC and I would redeem it on circle.com uh, and, and make 10% easily so you always have someone on the other side doing the opposite of you, more or less. So there, there is a lot of um, MEV taking place. People arbing tokens, people um, using trading against toxic flow. Um, there are a billion strategies, uh, a billion of, of multi-hop uh, algorithms. To, to essentially uh, exploit low liquidity pools. But th this is just this is just um, a normal day in, in the blockchain space. People, everyone is always trying to maximize their profit. And there's a new realm, which is uh, because there are so many different chains nowadays, um, how do we extract value? Now that we have more dimensions to work with, um, 
but at the same time, the, these cross-chain transactions cannot be atomic, they're asynchronous. So it introduces a little bit of risk as well, but there are always people extracting value. Every, every single second that passes, there are people arbing, there are people, well, doing whatever. Um, in fact, liquidations on money market, um, money, yeah, on money market protocols are actually very um, similar to this. Essentially, what it happens is your position gets marked for liquidation. And um, if, let's say your debt is $10. So instead of liquidating you for $10, they liquidate you for $11. And whoever liquidates you, and it can be anyone, I could liquidate you, uh, they get that $1 profit. So I get $11, I sell, I, sell, I sell them on the market and I keep the $1 profit. And this is happening. Uh, this is precisely uh, what keeps these protocols solvent. And in order to design these systems, you have to keep in mind that there is absolutely no civil resistance. Uh, everyone's anonymous. Anyone can operate like uh, a million accounts. Um, anyone can spam the network if they have enough capital. Um, and you just, you just have to do, and everything, almost everything is permissionless. Um, most functions, uh, well, not most functions, but you, you, you have a contract and a couple of functions are going to be public facing, like deposit, withdrawal, liquidate, um, stuff like that. And you, you just have to, to, to have an adversarial mindset while designing your protocol, knowing that it, if there is a way to exploit it, it will be exploited. And you will miss something and someone is going to exploit it. And then you are going to come up with a solution. And now your protocol is even more resilient than before. It's just growing pains. <laughs> Christiana, thank you so much. We've taken an hour of your time. This has been fantastic. Um, before we leave, uh, if people are interested in working with Lindy Labs or if they want to do like... I don't know, a research collaboration with you guys, or they're looking for jobs, should they email you? Should they contact you? What, what do you recommend? Yeah, you can uh, email me at uh, cristiano at lindylabs.net. Uh, we actually just uh, started a formal verification unit. So if anyone's interested, let me know, or anything security related. Sounds good. All right, thank you so much, Cristiano. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Max. Okay. Bye, everyone. Nice talking to you.